Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I am your host, Kenneth Braswell, CEO of Fathers Incorporated. And thank you for joining us again for another podcast show. Check it out. We got a um, email the other day from uh, Feedspot, which is a, a analyzer of social media, podcast, forum, content, around the world and they kind of categorize particularly in the podcast area um different genres of podcasts and so they do a ranking and it's a you know obviously they're trying to get paid a little bit of money um but from that they do a little bit of ranking um on all the podcasts within a particular genre and within the um fatherhood genre which is about I think the number was 1,700, 1,700 and some odd podcasts around the world um, that are focused on responsible fatherhood. Um, I Am Dad sits at number seven. And so that is a huge, I was so surprised and happy to see that. And so as podcasts go, we're up there in the top 10. And now my quest is to be number one, baby. And so here's what I need y'all to do. If you are watching, watching this, podcast this podcast on YouTube, I need you to hit that subscribe button um, because my analytics t- analytics tells me that 95% of the people who view um, the podcast on um, YouTube are not subscribers. And so we need to lift that number up. And then number two, if you're listening to this on any podcast platform, I need you to follow us. Um, That's what gives us our ability to expand our audience, to move up in the algorithm, to be heard more broadly, to move your messages out there um, far into the spaces of people who are interested in this subject matter. And so we're just going to. You know, make sure that I remind you on the beginning of the show, on the end of the show, on our social media platforms, that both subscribing and following are extremely important to the success of this show, in addition to your listening um, to us each and every week. Um, We got a great guest for us this morning. I met him through a friend, but I actually, I was going back through um, probably LinkedIn or something because folks kind of touched me in a lot of different places and ran across his name. I said, wait a minute, I know this dude. Somebody just finished talking to me about him. And so I immediately just kind of responded back to him and, and said, you know, let's get on. Uh, we can have a long conversation. But one of the things that I've been really focused on doing as we continue to uplift voices in the responsible fatherhood space um, to also tap into the individuals that are out there on the ground doing this work in whatever capacity. And so this is my step into that to be able to start uplifting organizations around the country um, who may not be as notable as some of the other longstanding long-term organizations that's been around across the country and to really figure out what's going on locally in cities um, around the country. So today 
my good friend, LaVar Robinson, who is the founder and executive director of Fathers on a Mission. Right? Did I get that right, LaVar? Yeah, Fathers on a Mission. Fathers on a Mission. And so he is in Louisiana. Y'all, he is in the great city of Baton Rouge. Um, he's been doing this since 2017. And I'm going to take a step back. He's got, I got his bio. You're going to see that online if you want to read through his bio. But right now, I want to hear living history. Brother, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into this work. Yeah, man. For many years, I had been mentoring in the community, uh, you know, in the areas where I grew up in, impoverished areas. Uh, and as I continue to mentor for years, I want to say maybe starting back in the 2006 time frame, I always figured, man, you know, it has to be something more than mentoring young kids twice a month, right? Um, only spending that minimum amount of time with them when they're going back into the environments that they were coming, you know, growing up in. And so I'm a man of faith and I pray and I say, God, you know, it has to be something more that we can do than just uh, mentoring, uh, you know, twice a month, et cetera. And he told me to look at myself, what would it help me what would it help me uh, not make as many mistakes, not make as big mistakes I've made? And for myself, that was a real easy question is if my father was involved, right? My father wasn't involved in my life in any aspects. My mother never talked negative about him. He just chose not to be involved. Um, so I said, okay, cool. So we're going to work. Let's, let's work with fathers. To me, it makes sense, right? So I took the idea to different organizations, nonprofit organizations. Nobody wanted to do it. No, they all wanted to stick in their lane, mentoring or whatever they were doing, working with mothers. And so I got frustrated. And so I prayed again and said, God, look, you told me this. Nobody wants to do it. So he said, hey, look, <laughs> I didn't give you this for you to give somebody else. I gave this to you for you to do. So I was like, whoa, you know, uh, going into starting an organization was not something I wanted to do. No, I was good working, working for a, a, a top three chemical plant in the, in, the, in the country. I was good, right? So but I went ahead and listened and obeyed and and so I started having you know, meetings for the purpose of you know, monthly fatherhood meetings to get guys together to be able to come and what I say, what I would call let their hair down and discuss topics on fatherhood, right? As men, we have pride. We usually don't have those conversations, but you're talking about women, sports, politics, you know, some foolishness. We rarely talk about fatherhood, right? So, and I say, you know, we need to make what's uh, uh, abnormal normal again. So again, we started having our monthly fatherhood meetings. Uh, those start going well, start growing, start off real, real slow. And I even thought it was like, man, I'm doing the wrong thing. But you know, uh, God just told me just stick with it, keep doing what I want you to do. Um, so over the years, you know, we added uh, our uh, father and daughter dance, cooking with dads, different ch uh, child and father bonding events. Uh, and I noticed that it, it gave guys a, a, uh, a lane to express themselves, right? Able to talk about fatherhood, the different things that are bothering them that we all keep so tied up tight in our minds. Um, so uh, I just kept going, kept pushing with it last year. On April of 2022, I made that leap of faith and left uh, the, the big paying job to run the nonprofit so I can work run it full time. And we also include we also stepped into the lane of providing social services intervention uh, for fathers. Right. So basically the wraparound services that they have everywhere for mothers and kids. Well, we do that for fathers. Right. We find out what are their needs, regardless if it's educational, a better job, a job barriers from keeping them getting a job, whether it might be a documents, birth certificate, twit card, social security card, 
um, boots, uniform, a belt, get them started on their feet, um, connecting guys with jobs when they come out of prison, uh, but also helping them uh, get back into the lives of their kids for those guys who are not in the lives of their kids and those guys who are active in their, in, in, uh, in their kids' lives, letting them come out and have these be part of these conversations, letting guys know, hey, these are things that I did, right? Using the synergy in the room to have the conversation about responsible fatherhood. And so we actually, last year, myself and two of my volunteers, we went up to Connecticut um, and got certified as responsible fatherhood facilitators and family life coaches. Uh, and we started our weekly fatherhood classes that are curriculum based. So we now have weekly classes that are curriculum based uh, where we're now starting to uh, build the platform uh, so that we can launch it throughout the state. So, man, it, it, it's something that I never thought I would ever be doing myself. Um, but, you know, when God puts something in your lap, you know, you, you, you take it and roll with it. But I can tell you one thing. I have more joy doing this than I ever have with anything else that I did in life. Mm, nice. When these guys started coming to you, what did you see as the biggest challenges from for, from them? Uh, the not knowing. Mm-hmm. Whether it's about not knowing how to be a father, not knowing what to get resources for, not knowing who to have these conversations with, just the not knowing of everything, right? So education, yes, is important, but we have to make sure that we educate uh, kids, families, fathers, in the right areas of life so that they can support uh, their family. So just the not know. Wow. What was the big epiphany points? What were those things that began to start hitting you in your face? And you was like, whoa, 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 I ain't know this. I didn't consider this. I didn't think about this. Because our dads come with a lot of stuff, right? And so and sometimes they come with some stuff and we weren't expecting that to be popping up on our doorstep. What kind of things popped up for you that you weren't aware of or weren't ready for? Oh man, it's it's. I'm glad you asked that question. You know, a lot of times, uh, one of the things that I could say that come to mind is uh, abuse, right? Domestic violence. You no, know, we know most of the majority of domestic violence cases are male on female. But man, there's several guys that we've had to come um, and tell their stories about domestic violence, uh, about making a phone call to the authorities and them not doing anything about it. Uh, and so it's just a hush thing, right? Things happen and the guys just don't say anything. You know, not every male, not every father is a rough and tough guy. Some guys are mild mannered, they are meek, you know? And so they have some women that take advantage of them and do things to them and they're just taking it because they figure out, hey, because I'm a man, there's nothing gonna happen. So uh, some of the DV cases that we uh, came across, um, I think majority of some of the things that uh, started to sound the same, which is uh, the not knowing, not uh, not knowing the avenues to take, uh, but going out and get, gathering the resources and bring them to the guys. One of the biggest things that was uh, a big wild to where there are resources out there, but you got to go and find them. They're hidden. They're not just out in the open, not advertised for a father to use them. So that's one of the things when I first started, like, you know what? Let me go and see what's out there, right? The thing is, going out there, I have to go in and, and ruffle feathers and go in and piss people off. But in the end, they end up giving me the information and the resource that I need so that we can come back and share with our guys. Yeah, you know, one of the things that, um, particularly for us, when I started doing this work in New York, um, you know, with the same calling that was called upon your life in a, in a different way, but the same calling. And so, you know, one of the things I had to quickly recognize and get my head around was that 
my talents and abilities to do the things that God was challenging me to do, which was speak to the hearts of men um, and work with men and work with families and, and be empathetic and be sympathetic and be compassionate and all those things I needed to do for fathers through my own lens of a not having a father in my life, b um, being an estranged father in the early life of my youngest um, of, of my oldest daughter, and then figuring that thing out and writing that shit for the rest of my life. But the thing that I didn't take into consideration as I began to move forward with what God was asking me to do was the organization, organizational structure resource side of this, right? Which is as you begin to flow through this thing, you begin to start realizing that there is a business structure you have to create. And there is a mechanism of raising funds and resources because freedom ain't free, right? And everybody don't give you their gifts and talents, talents freely. Um, what has that journey looked like for you as you have continued to try to develop Fathers on a Mission? What has it looked like for you from that organizational um, point of view? Man, Ken, I, I, I agree with everything you stated, man. The struggle is real, you know. <laughs> <laughs> man, it, it's tough. And, you know, uh, and, and understanding that, yes, you, you know, you have to structure it, come back and run it like a business. It is what it is, right? You can call it nonprofit all you want, but you still have to come back and create that model, uh, business model, uh, all of it to, to sustain to sustain the organization. Um, but yeah, man, it, it's been a, it's been a battle, but it's been a battle that I'm continuing to push forward for. Um, but I find it amazing that uh, when you connect with the right people, you'll get the right resources and support. Um, that you need, and the and the funny thing about I gonna say the funny thing about I say the weird thing about it is that uh, the ones here in my city in my state that I've gotten those resources for don't look like me, right? Mm-hmm. My majority of support, uh, I would say, eighty ninety percent of my support has come from people who do don't look like me and who are genuine to the cause, who want to see change, not for uh, for the people who don't look like them, but just for people in general. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, one thing we have in Baton Rouge here in Baton Rouge is a problem with organizations working together, right? Everybody wants to compete for the dollars. It, it, it's so much dollars and so many people out there. There's no reason to compete. You can work together. Uh, but yeah, man, just putting it all together and realizing who's for you. Unfortunately, there are people who there are people who are not for you. And just understanding uh, who you can call upon, who you uh, stay away from as you journey to support fatherhood. It's, it's crazy how you will find even professional people that are not supportive in the work of strengthening fathers. So um, it, it's, it's a fight. It's a battle. But like I say, at the end of the day, I may go home with a headache or tired. But man, ever since I've been doing this uh, full time and I get up every morning and just like, let's get it. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, you know, and I'll just tell you that what you just described as um, you would think that there would be a groundswell of people that wanted to assist in helping, you know, fathers. It's not there. Um, it's not there on a broad scale nationally, and it's not there for many cities locally where this work is beginning to emerge, right? Because the responsible fatherhood field is still a young discipline of social work. It's still not structuralized in the 
um, context of social work. Uh, most social schools around the country still don't emphasize father involvement, father engagement as they are training social workers to go out into the world and into communities to do this work. Um, it is still not recognized amongst, you know, viable family oriented not for profits across the country as a piece of work that is critical to the development of the healthy well being of children. And so we are still as far as we've come, we still have a long way to go. When you look yeah. at your resources, particularly um, there in Baton Rouge, what have been the resources that are the most valuable to you? Uh, man, employment, right? Employment services, uh, uh, workforce development, training, anything around workforce has been very, very important um, and delicate to us. Uh, one thing that we do struggle with here is housing, right? Uh, whether it's guys coming you know, out of prison or if it's guys who fallen on bad times, uh, whatever the situation may be, um, the housing situation is very, very uh, tough down here. Um, but the part of connecting guys with employment has been a very successful piece. One side of that is just making sure, ensuring that the guys, some guys want to actually take on the employment, but also understanding that, hey, even though you want to be here at a higher level, sometimes, a lot of times, you have to start up at the bottom, right? And sometimes I even use my own journey because, you know, even with my uh, careers in, in, the, in the plant uh, field, chemical plant industry, I still had to start off at the bottom because of mistakes that I made. So I had to start off as the custodian in the plant, right? But I knew that wasn't my last step in the process because I knew what I had inside of me. And I also made sure that I pushed towards uh, getting the credentials I needed to reach those higher mountains that I wanted to uh, knock down or climb over. So the educational piece is huge. Uh, it's there with just uh, getting guys to align themselves, their purposes up with uh, supporting their families through better employment opportunities. Mm, that's interesting that you talked about housing because it is equal. It is an equal issue for us here in Atlanta. And I would submit that is probably emerging around the country um, that our fathers are now struggling with um, finding adequate, you know, housing um, and that we're also not realizing. So there's a good thing that is happening, but on the back end is having some um, challenges on the back end. And that is, you know, more fathers across the country are getting sole custody of their children. Um, the courts are becoming more lenient when it comes to ensuring that children are in the best and most healthy environments for their children and equally assessing both the health and well-being of both mom and dad. And as a result of that, you're starting to see some fairer cases. We still got a long way to go. We ain't there yet. Yeah. Everybody's not benefiting from that, you know, epiphany and 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 um, empathy, um, but more of them are. And as a result of that, what we're finding is that when fathers do have the fortunate um, circumstance of becoming um, full custodial parents over their children still find themselves still struggling with um, finding resources that are male oriented. And one right. of those things is in the space of housing. And so one of the things that we've seen um, LeVar here, here, here in Atlanta is that we're finding that when our dads are, you know, unfortunately becoming homeless, 
that they are now sleeping in their cars with their children and that um, shelters, right, are not allowing them to come into the shelters because they're not moms with children. And so right. they're forced, as a result of policies, to sleep in the car with their children. There's something ass backwards about that, right? There's something right. just not um, right about the fact that we still don't have parental gender equity, you know, when it comes to resources um, across this country. But that's why, you know, there is an importance of folks like you and myself who are doing this work around the country to begin to start speaking and talking to each other and sharing our experiences so that we could begin to bring those to folks that have the power to change legislation as proof of concept. You know, it's not just a bunch of guys complaining about stuff. This is real life stuff. You know, these guys are running up against policy barriers and cultural barriers and societal barriers and cultural barriers and economic barriers. And that they got nothing to do with them being parents, right? It has everything to do with who they are, what they look like, and why we think the way we think about them. When you think about your dads in, in, in Baton Rouge, like what is it that you could use the most help in in helping these dads get to the spaces that they want to be as dads? Man, you hit it dead on the head when you said policies, right? Uh, getting that level of where uh, in the legislature and things like that, that uh, the war on dads is recognized that it is real and they start put, start uh providing equal resources for fathers. Um, I mean, I think that sometimes we have to sit down and look at everything, right? We've been, uh, when I say we, the, the society, the, the system has always supported mothers and children for so long, right? Um, it's about time we start doing something new, right? Supporting fathers, because when you look at it, regardless if the father is in the home or not in the home, it still starts at the top, right? When we start enhancing fathers, everything starts trickling from the top of that triangle, just like a triangle, right? You got a triangle, dad's up here at the top, we enhance him, everything starts trickling out on both ends to support the, uh, the, the kids, the families, the mothers, regardless if they're together or not. Uh, we start aligning those two. So having policies changed um, to support fathers uh, would be a huge step uh, with funds being allocated towards um, those resources and organizations that are supporting fathers, not to take away from supporting mothers, but to realize that the value and the importance of supporting fatherhood will make a drastic changes in some of the negative uh, stereotypes that we have in our city and country. Um, week before last, my um, guest on the podcast was Kenitra um, Jack. Um, who is there in Baton Rouge and oversees child support for the state of Louisiana. And she had very glowing and, and, and awesome things to say about you and your work. Um, and that she was glad that you were there and understood exactly what you were talking about. She understood the barriers. She understood the challenges. Um, and her task and quest question to me was, you know, how do we as fathers incorporate incorporated help organizations around the country like yours who are starting out in this game, trying to figure this thing out? And how do we help build capacity 
um, to be able to get into the spaces that we've been able to get to. So I've been kind of thinking more and more about that, have not come to conclusion yet, but if that exact, but have um, been thinking about it. Um, but I was uh, very pleasantly um, appreciative to know that they are at least looking at ways to integrate um, organizations like Fathers um, on a Mission into their work. Talk to me a little bit about the work that you're doing in Louisiana with child support. Yeah, so uh, we've actually uh, formed a partnership with uh, DCFS, Child Support Enforcement, um, a little bit over a year and a half ago to where they are supporting us in our fight to uh, enhance fathers. Of course, their beneficial side of it is that we, you know, we make sure we encourage guys to take care of their financial responsibilities when it comes to being a father, which uh, hey, we are all, we are uh, 100% on board with that, but also taking a look at it from our side, uh, it's not just a financial responsibility, it's also a, uh, a physical in contact with your child responsibility that we have. Um, so just trying to get that side of it with DCFS to come to an agreement on let's fight this fight together, not just a one-sided fight on the financial side, but also on a responsible fatherhood, which includes the actual well-being and care and raising of the of a child by the father. So uh, we've had uh, talks about it in a meeting or two about it, uh, but they are definitely opening up uh, to bright, broaden their spectrum on it. Last year, they actually invited me to come and speak at their uh, conference uh, in Marksville, Louisiana, and I brought a couple of guys. You know, one of my team members here, uh, he uh, received full custody of his four sons, you know, when they're in their early teens. So he talked about that process and how it was a struggle and how it also it caused put him in a financial hole in order just to do that, right? So uh, just getting them to understand not just DCFS, but everybody, you know, who, those who are in the powers to be controlled, to understand how significant it is for a father to, father to be in a child's life uh, in a way that's beneficial for the child. Because if we are actually going to focus, if it's about the child, then we need to realize, understand that fathers are just important as the mothers, regardless if they're in the home or not. And I know there are some other, uh, some other things that goes into the equation of, uh, no, uh, uh, the, the custodial time and things like that, but we have to make it uh, just as important as the financial contribution, right? We don't want to make things always about money because to be a great father or even a great mother is not about the money that you spend on a child, right? It's about the time that you spend with the child and the, uh, the quality of the content that you're sharing with the child. So um, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great partnership that's in, in, in the work in progress state. But they all, but they know I'm always on. I'm, I'm pressing them, right? <laughs> I mean, there are some things in the meantime of working things out that can be done. So I'm that one to press them. Okay, even though we're work, waiting on this process, how about this? This is something that we can actually um, do while we're waiting for the next step to happen. Such as um, for our monthly fatherhood meetings, we have topics that I would say are more broad compared to our weekly curriculum classes. Um, just a few months ago, we actually had the, the super, the, the, the management team from DCFS and the DA's office to come out to our father meeting and describe the processes that are associated with uh, child support and enforcement and things like that. And they also allowed the gentleman to one answer, ask, I'm sorry, ask any question that they had concerning the topic Two, if they didn't have an answer for them, then 
they did give them their personal card, which had their email address and phone number and told them to follow up with them. And I also, you know me, I'm going to go and follow up to make sure that uh, they receive those emails or phone calls. And they have actually been doing it. So uh, just get them to. And so I, I think the education of how child support enforcement works, educating fathers on that portion of it, but then also educating DCFS on these are some of the things that go on that you don't know about because you're in the office and we're in the field. Right. We are here working the meeting with them. So just getting, getting both sides uh, educated on how different processes work and the struggles we face. Is a great thing. So it's a man. It's, it's a work in progress, but it's a great partnership that I that was needed, and I am glad that we're part of. Yeah, it's amazing how much education you have to do, you know, around this work, and some of it, um, Lavar, is not even not even education. It feels like some of it is education for the sake of convincing, right? That somehow I have yeah. to convince you that a dad is valuable. It's not that you're not educated and don't already understand that. It's that I have to convince you why my work is relevant, why fathers and that, you know, that's 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 the kind of stuff that, you know, keeps me up at night, given that this is 2023. Right. And we're still having to convince people, you know, that fathers are necessary in the lives of their children. Um, When you look at your work and you look at some of the challenges and struggles you may have had over the years um, with Fathers on a mission. What's what are the things that keep you up at night? Man, I, I swear you must be looking in my head or something because you're saying <laughs> that we have the same process, man. We, we face the same fights, same struggles. But like you said, convincing, right? Um, I know uh, even with the DA's office, man, it's like I have to convince why this work is important, right? I have to convince why uh, this work needs to be funded, but yet you're funding other organizations that support mothers and kids. Right. Or even without working in, 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 in the prison system. Right now we have work going on fatherhood classes in the prison system and we do it on a volunteer basis because we have to convince them, hey, this is a worthy, wild cause to fund. We already agreed that, yes, we have fathers in a reentry program that will be released in the next uh, six to 18 months. Yes, they need uh, this fatherhood education. All right. OK, so why is this not important enough to fund? Why is there you, there's funding for everything else? But yet I have my guys have to come out, you know, uh, step away from their jobs or whatever they're doing and come and do this free piece to help better our community, our city and state. Why is this not um, important enough to fund or even when, it, you know, when you're talking to funders? So the whole aspect of convincing me, I would say is the biggest, uh, the hurdles we're facing, man. Just, you know, I guess the thing of uh, it's good, it's good enough it's, the work is needed, but it's not needed enough to us to fund it. Come no, on I, now. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I'm telling you, bro, it's to a, you know, to the last dime, most responsible fatherhood agencies around the country, particularly at your level and even mine and others, you know, are struggling with the same thing. You know, we just are fortunate in the, in the way that I've had 20 years to build this thing, right? And I strategically built it in a way to first make it sustainable um, and to be self-standing um, so that it wasn't reliant on one source of funding or one individual to um, allow me to continue to do what it is we were trying to do and also that we didn't have to do it through somebody else's 
lens um, with respect to how they saw this work as opposed to how I saw this work. And so it's had to, and we've just had to continue to just stay on that path to build our own voice. And, you know, personally, you know, as an individual who has, you know, feelings and emotions and maybe even sometimes ego and those kinds of things, you know, I have to stop looking at things around me and trying to figure out, as you just said, why are people who are doing much less in the field of work that I'm doing getting all the money? Why are they, you know, being placed in all the spaces of influence? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? How come not me? But I wind all the way back to what you said in the beginning um, about how you got into this work, right? And what you said was this was a calling on your life. This was a specific calling on your life. And whenever I get to those points where I start looking around me and trying to figure out why I don't have what I have, I have to remind myself that when I do that, I am challenging God on the things that he has given me as if what he's given Come me on. not enough. Come on. Right? That's yeah. what keeps me humble. That's what keeps me humble. That I don't dare ask him for something that he hasn't given me because if I do that, it makes the assumption that he doesn't have the ability to give me what somebody else has given somebody else. And I step Sweet. back away from it and I'm like, okay, work in your lane, work in your space, do what I told you to do with what I'm giving you. And in that space, you're not going to have any issues based on the challenges and people that I'm going to put before you. Therefore, I don't have to look into Baton Rouge and be jealous and envious of what LeVar is doing down there. I can only be supportive and helpful to him to do what he needs to do when I have the ability to do that. And I'm going to be honest that I have not always been there, right? I've always, you know, I'm talking, you know, seven, eight years ago, you know, really caught up in, you know, where people are, who people were, who they were talking to, those kinds of things. So I had to mature into that space. And so I'm in a very peaceful um, place now when it comes to that. So I give that to you. Um, as a as a man of God who listens to the calling on your life and will look around you and see things and people in spaces that you believe you're supposed to be. Um, and that is the one mistake that God doesn't make. And that is position. Um, Come on, man. It's deep. There is only he is the only one that can position you in the places that you are supposed to be without credentials. Come on. It's credentials. Right. Deep. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, keep doing what you're doing, bro. I'm, 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 I'm proud of you. I'm glad to, you know, now connect with you and, and, and know what you're doing. And so, and I want to support in the ways that I can support and really give you, you know, counsel and advice. And so that you don't have to make the same mistakes I've made and, 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 and crash into the same walls that I've crashed in and even help with strategy on how, um, to begin to start positioning your agency. Um, and I'll tell you something that Joe Jones told me, um, who is the um, executive director of the Center for Urban Families in Baltimore. And he was one of those guys when I first came in, he was big in the space. He is still big in the space, but he was he was giant in the space. And I remember sending him a letter because at that time it wasn't no email and all that other stuff. I had to send him a physical letter. <laughs> 
and he never responded to me. And I was real hot about that. Uh, when I yeah. finally met him, I was still hot about it, you know, and, and sometime after that, I was still hot about it. Um, and then we became friends and I began to know him and understand him and understand his journey from where mm-hmm. he started. Right. And to understand how crazy it was for me to want to demand, put a demand on his time where his time was dedicated to putting demand on his time. Mm. That makes sense, right? Yeah. And so at that point, it wasn't for him to put his demand on my time. He had to put his demand on his time. And I was trying to impress and squeeze my way into that. But the one thing he said to me when I actually moved from New York to Atlanta, um, because we get into this work and everybody has this idea about being national as if somehow that gives you cachet. Um, to be able to do this work. And I was there at some point, have long since fallen off of that and now understand how ridiculous that is to want to be um, national, particularly when you have local issues to deal with. Um, right. And he told me when I came to Atlanta um, to, to go local, to build local and build your influence locally so that it's nationally seen. And Come so on. not try to... Uh, make people believe that you are national so that you get local cachet. It doesn't work that way. Um, it yeah. works the other way around. Become an expert of your home, of your own home. Take care of those folks in your own home. Um, take care of those people where you live, your four blocks around your house, um, your four miles around your house, your four counties around your city, you know, those kinds of things. And become, because there is enough work in those spaces to do without right. to figure out how you going to work with people in states that are hundreds and hundreds of miles away from you, where you have no, no connection, no leeway, no cachet, no, you know, understanding knowledge and those kinds of things. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to share that with you. And I hope others that are listening to this podcast, here's, here's this, because I don't talk about this often. It becomes my own prison in terms of the things that I know and things that I've impacted by, I just yeah. kind of keep it to myself. And my wife is encouraging me to speak more, to talk more and to kind of put it out there so that people can glean, you know, from what I've learned over the last 20 years in this space. When you look at um, Fathers on a Mission and you kind of look five years from now, what do you want to be? Man, uh on a clear cut path of what we're right already now in the progress of like you like you spoke about man um strength continuous a strong foundation here in our city of Baton Rouge and the surrounding areas uh where we've already reached out to neighboring uh where we have requests from neighboring parishes of West Lucian Ascension West Baton Rouge um you know have the Baton Rouge metropolitan area uh with satellite locations of fathers on the mission where we're uh, we, we are supporting fathers, enhancing fathers in different parts of the city um, where it's making an impact on children's lives, right? We're strengthening relationships to uh, where regardless if it's a father and mother being married or if they're just co-parenting, right? Uh, parallel parenting, something I learned about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, trying to strengthen parallel, I'm sorry, not parallel parenting, uh, co-parenting. Um, and reduce parallel parenting, right? Because the effects on the children from that. 
Um, you know, but yeah, that's what it is. You know, this whole Baton Rouge area, strengthening fathers, uh, fathers on the mission is a household name, being able to connect guys to employment resources, um, housing, man. If I ever went the ladder, one of the things I was talking to my daughter about, uh, she wants to build a, another homeless shelter. I said, I want to build a shelter for fathers, a transitional, um, shelter for fathers and kids. Um, so that they have somewhere with, and where they can receive financial literacy workshops, home building seminars, all these different resources that are key in them sustain their own foundation within themselves to enhance their family. So uh, that's why I see Fathers on the Mission uh, serving this cause, serving this purpose of being fathers on the mission um, as we strengthen families and build up children. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about shelters. I actually was doing something the other day and ran across this brother, um, Damon Mills, and I reached out to him and told him that, hey, dude, I need you on my podcast. I need to talk to you about this. He's in Indianapolis, and he literally just opened a men's shelter. He opened a men's shelter. And I can't wait to talk to him about a why he did that and how he did it. So once we connect with him, I'll connect him with you and we'll connect together. And maybe he could share with you um, how he awesome. did that and how he did that, because that is a real huge need. You know what I did not ask you and what I want to ask you now as we kind of close this out is we're talking about Baton Rouge and we know that all places across the country are similar yet unique. And I'm sure there's some things that are unique to Baton Rouge. When you look at your dads in terms of uniqueness and what's going on with them on the environment and atmosphere to which they're trying to be parents in, what do you think is unique to Baton Rouge? Oh man, I think just the culture within itself, you know, uh, Baton Rouge is Baton Rouge. Uh, You know, everybody knows New Orleans. Uh, but Baton Rouge, man, is uh, we have our own sense. We are similar to New Orleans, but we're of our own. Uh, just the culture, the, the the persistence, and guys wanting to do better, wanting guys who are doing great to even do more better, to reach back and support one another. Um, just changing the di- dynamics of how people are seen here in the state of Louisiana, um, helping our kids uh, get educated. Uh, the more I noticed that, the more that programs that are out for uh, guys and families to uh, learn uh, better things, concepts, um, they attend, they, 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 uh, they want to know, they want to be in the know of it, right? And you got to feed them. I mean, you got to feed and you, <laughs> you got to bring some of good Louisiana food to the table. Uh, but man, it's, our food, our culture, man, it's one uh, one of the best, uh, the best, you know, we have the, uh, State University, HBCU, State University here, uh, Louisiana State University, Tigers. Um, you have two of the top, uh, colleges, uh, in, in the country here located in Baton Rouge, man. It's, uh, great seasons, uh, festivals, all types of fun things to do. But the people here, man, are very genuine as we still fight to uh to dismantle uh discrimination in the various forms that it comes in but also fathers taking a stand to stand strong and be supportive of their kids and families nice nice all right sir any last words any last statements anything we left out that you want to get out there nah man uh i definitely invite everyone to check out our website uh fathers on the mission which is www.foam f-o-a-m-l-a.org we are on facebook follow us on facebook twitter 
uh, Instagram. Check us out, see the things we have going on. Um, if you know someone in Louisiana or if you're in Louisiana, make sure you reach out to us so we can support fathers and father figures in your area as much as possible. Um, but man, I definitely want to thank you for inviting me on here, man. I thank you for the words of wisdom that you shared. They definitely touched. Um, I'm happy that we definitely can relate. I'll tell you one thing, man, when you're a believer, man, there's so many things that you can connect with people on to help them in ways that you would never, ever imagine. But it also pulls things out of you that you, like you say, ordinary wouldn't uh, pull. But when you feel that synergy, man, even through a, a podcast, man, it's it's just awesome. Right. So, man, I definitely thank you for the invita- uh, invite. Thank you. I appreciate you, bro. Anything I could do, like I said, I mean, we're now connected. I'll share my telephone number with you and email addresses and all that stuff so you can reach out. And I'm not far from you. And so, you know, if you have the opportunity to come down and hang out and do something and, you know, get the lay of the land and and, and pull you in on some of the work that we're doing and try to put a ring around, put around a ring around around this, you know, region. Right. Because that's the other thing I had actually been thinking about is really thinking about doing something that was Southeast regional that includes Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi, you know, because that's where most of us are, right? That's where we are, those four states um, down here. And how could we create some level of synergy um, here in these states to kind of continue to find ways to do this work? And so I also want to ask each of you, Um, Again, I talked about it in the beginning. If you're listening to this on YouTube, take a moment and just look down at the bottom. You see that subscribe button. Just click it. Also, if you're listening to it on any other social media platform, make sure that you subscribe. Those things help us in continuing to broaden our bandwidth in terms of who we are and how far that Um, I am that podcast is moving amongst the podcast world. Again, I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. You guys have a great week. God bless. Peace out. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.